Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 41, and I'd like to read through verse 52. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Yeshua stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Yeshua increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with Yahweh and with people. Praise Yahweh for his work. Isn't it interesting that from verses 41 through verse 52, and as we'll see as we get into chapter 3 in the future, we've got Yeshua's life from age 12 all the way up to about age 30. This is the only account in all of the Gospels that we have of our Messiah's childhood. No other account. Matthew doesn't even record this account in his gospel. It records the birth. Luke records the birth. But this is the only account that we have in the scriptures about his childhood. Yahweh is provident. He knows what's best. He knows what we need. Right, Brother Dan? So I think we can learn from it and be appreciative that it is in here. Let's begin by reading verses 41 through 42. The text says that every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Notice, too, before I get into these verses, that while from age 12 to about 30 is sandwiched right in this text that we're covering tonight, from his birth and his presentation at the temple up to age 12, we don't have any information either. Just the birth narrative, and then we have one at age 12, and then we have a lot once he became 30 years old. And he went to his ministry some three to four years long. Verse 41 talks about how that his parents would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival every year. Jerusalem was the headquarters out of all the tribes in the land of Canaan. It was located in the southern territory of Judah. And for the parents of the Messiah to travel to Jerusalem would mean that they would have to make about an 80-mile journey, roughly, from Nazareth, which was in the northern territory of Canaan, 
to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's mentioned in many passages. I'm not going to go to these, but you can look these up, like Psalm 122, Psalm 135, and all of Psalm 137 are excellent texts in the Psalms that focus on the sanctity of the city of Jerusalem. That was the city that Yahweh chose to hold the feasts or the pilgrim feasts in. Uh, there were three feasts that the males in Israel were required to go to. And it's a blessing that as I say that, the majority of us understand that already in here. You know, if I was teaching some other congregation, I might have to go into more detail and explain about the three feasts, but we know that they're Passover and Pentecost and, and Tabernacles, and we can call them other names like Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Ingathering. There's various names for those feasts, but those were the three times in the year that all the males, for sure the males, were required to appear before Yahweh and they would go to Jerusalem. Exodus 23 and Exodus 34 talks about those three times of the year. Verse 41 mentions the Passover festival. That doesn't mean that Joseph didn't go up to Jerusalem for the other feast. It's just recording that every year his parents, plural, Miriam and Joseph, would go up to the Passover festival. Miriam may not have went to the other feast with Joseph, but she would go up at least to the Passover festival. She may have. We don't know for sure. But it does mention that she was with him here at the Passover festival, and it was an every year occurrence. Verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Custom of the festival doesn't mean man-made custom or tradition. It means Torah. They were obedient to the law of the festival that was found in the first five books of Prophet Moses. Another thing that we need to point out here is this, is that the author does mention the age of our Messiah, age 12. There's a reason I think that he mentions that. We'll see that further on down in the text. But we need to notice here that Yeshua kept the Passover festival his entire life. I've listened to some Messianic or Hebrew roots teachers, sacred name teachers, that say because they have a, they still have a tradition inside of them, and I once did, praise Yahweh, don't have it anymore, but they still had a tradition inside of them that is kind of adverse to anything that has to do with sacrifices, animal sacrifices. And I heard one guy say one time that Yeshua, one law that he never had to do was offer up animal sacrifices. And that's just not true. It's not true. There is a high likelihood that the older that Yeshua got, he may have actually killed the lamb for the home because of Joseph's death later on in his life. I talked about that last week. Uh, he would travel with Joseph to these festivals. He was a male in Israel. You say, well, why would Yeshua have to offer up animal sacrifices? Because he was without sin. Well, let me ask you this. Why would Yeshua have to be baptized unto repentance by John? He didn't have any sin. But yet he still submitted to that baptism in water unto repentance. Why? He had to fulfill all of the requirements of the Torah. If he, if he missed one inkling, then he could not have died for our sins because he would be blemished. So Yeshua offered up animal sacrifices, probably a multiplicity of them, uh, from the age of 12 up to adulthood. And that's because, contrary to popular 
Christian opinion, children and adults, animal sacrifices, Yahweh loves them. He loves them. It's a way that he has always required and asked to be worshipped since the beginning of time. One day I need to do a whole month, a whole moon teaching on animal sacrifices because it's so entrenched into our minds that, like here, he kept the Passover festival. You don't keep the Passover festival without a lamb. I went to one of these Seder meals that Brother Danny a few years ago invited us to. And at that time, Brother Danny was kind of new to a lot of the things that we believed. And praise Yahweh for Brother Danny and his wife and his children. They're out of town this week. He called me and said that's why they're not here. I love them, and I really believe Yahweh's doing work in their life. I went to the Seder meal with them, and, and on the plate, you know, there was the egg and there was some other things. It's my first one I'd ever been to that they called a Seder. And then there was a lamb shank, a lamb bone. And I remember leaning over to Brother Danny, and I tapped him on the arm, and I said, Brother Danny, I said, where do you reckon that they got all these lamb bones from? And he just kind of looked at me and didn't know what to say, and I said, well, somebody had to slaughter these lambs. But, obviously, they weren't slaughtered on the 14th day of Aviv between the evenings, like Yahweh commands us to. We kill turkeys, people kill hogs, but if you have a Passover lamb, people think that you're, as they say, going back up under the law, whatever that means, or denying the Messiah. There's nothing that you can do that the Messiah did that would be denying the Messiah. Anything that he did and you mimic or you follow the example of, you can't be denying him and doing what he did. So he kept the Passover. We should too. And we do that at this congregation. It was talked about the pagan festivals. We had one, the major one of the year that everybody's so in love with, Christmas that just passed. And then we've got New Year's coming up that wasn't even really the new year on even the Roman calendar until 46 B.C. And it's named after a pagan deity with two faces. And you'll see people, and they'll be out in Atlanta, and they're going to be watching these things, and then they look at us, and they think that we're crazy because we keep Yahweh's feasts that are commanded in the Bible, like our Messiah did here, at, even at the age of 12. And, you know... We need, to, we need to pray and ask Yahweh to reveal these things to people and be honest and serious about our witness to them and not try to cram anything down anybody's throat. But nevertheless, we need to be you know, willing to share with, with people because I don't know that we really realize, we talk about pagan festivals around here, but I don't know that we really realize that these days, many of them, not all of them in the American holidays, but most of them were dedicated to the worship of, of idols. I just got through teaching a three-part series on Christmas on my radio broadcast. And my message tonight is not about pagan festivals, but I just feel led to just talk about it a little bit. Because we're talking about Yahweh's feast days. One man said, you either keep the feast days or you keep the beast days. <laughs> And I said, brother, I like that. I'm going to use that in a sermon. So I just got a chance to do it. But these days were dedicated to the worship of other deities. Yeshua was not born on December the 25th. Yahweh's New Year is not on January the 1st, after the pagan god Janus. 
with two faces, one to take out the old year and one to bring in the new, the God of gates and doors and new beginnings. Yahweh doesn't have anything to do with these. I'm going to go to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock like I do every night on December 31st <laughs> and pray and ask Yahweh to give me a safe sleep, my children, and wake up and it's just another day. Somebody called me on what they call Christmas this past day and said, what are y'all doing? I said, my children are doing school and I'm up here studying the scriptures. Oh, okay. It's just another day. It's just another day. But but when Yahweh's days come, hey, we shut everything off. Hallelujah. We're ready. The Master Supper, you know, it's the next spring festival coming up. We should take it serious. They're Yahweh's feast days, His appointed times. He loves it. He looks down from heaven when we keep those days. And He loves that. He loves us walking in His commandments. So let's be like Yeshua. Even at 12 years old here, we see he was going with his parents to the Passover festival at Jerusalem to be obedient to the Torah. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Verse 43 and 44. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Yeshua stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. Now, when it says here, after those days were over, there's two possible ways to look at this. They could have stayed for the entire Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a possibility. That's a legitimate interpretation. It could, though, just be talking about that they stayed for the Passover slaughter and the first day of Unleavened Bread and then journeyed back on the intermediate days of the Feast. That's also a possibility. You look in commentators and scholars and they'll say, they argue back and forth, but there's no one that can really, even from the Greek text here, give a definitive answer, so it could go either way. And Passover festival in verse 41 doesn't really help us because sometimes the word Passover can be referring to the entire feast. Ezekiel 45:21, I believe, is a text where it refers to the entire feast. But sometimes, though, Passover can just refer to the slaughter of the lamb on the 14th between the two evenings. Sometimes the Passover can refer to the eating of the meal, which is on the beginning of the 15th day of Aviv. And I've got other messages on the Passover that I've taught on if you're interested in studying more about all that. So that could go either way. But it says that they were returning, and the they has to mean the parents and the rest of the caravan. It doesn't include Yeshua because it says the boy Yeshua stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know about that. And that seems odd. That seems odd because parents are not supposed to leave their children at a location when they have to journey 80 miles back home. So it seems odd to us, but we've got to understand something. This is really not that odd. Now, I'll get more into this as we go on, but the reason it's not odd is verse 44 shows us that they assumed he was in the traveling party. And so they went a day's journey, and then they began to look for him among who? Their relatives and their friends. Culture dictated that when people like up in the, the territory of Galilee, Nazareth, where Joseph and Miriam lived, when they would go up to Jerusalem for the feast, and even though they traveled south, it was called going up because, number one, is because it was Yahweh's set-apart city. Number two, Jerusalem was at a higher elevation than Nazareth, so it would be called going up. But they would travel in large groups. I'm talking about a couple hundred people. Family, relatives, all the Israelites, let's get together and let's travel in a group so we can watch out for each other. 
It'll be more joyous time. We can talk about the Torah. And the closer we get to Jerusalem, we'll rejoice because we're about to keep Yahweh's feet. So they just assumed that he was with a relative of theirs or a friend. This is a common assumption. It's nothing wrong. It's not that these parents were neglectful. They just assumed he was with somebody else and the hundreds of people that was, were in their caravan. It said they would win a day's journey before they began to look for him. And a day's journey varies. Uh, most Bible dictionaries say, it, say that it is anywhere from like 10 to 30 miles, depending on how many people is in your group. Obviously, with a larger group, a day's journey would be a little slower, maybe more like 7 to 10 miles. If you were just one man, you might could travel 30 miles in a period of a day. Look at verse 45. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. So they didn't find him. And it says, After three days, in verse 46, they found him in the temple complex. Here's another debate. This is not one to divide over, but let me give you the three positions on this after three days. Some scholars believe that it means one day traveling away from Jerusalem, then they realized he wasn't there, began looking for him, so they came back, and it took them a day's journey to get back to Jerusalem. That's two days, and then after the third day began, they found him in the temple complex. That makes sense, and I think that's highly likely. Other scholars, though, think that after three days did not begin, or the three days didn't begin until they got back to Jerusalem, and they looked for him for three days. I, that doesn't jive in my mind. It doesn't seem like it would take them 72 hours or at least periods of three days to find their child in Jerusalem. Some scholars, though, take a third position that the passage is chronological and that the three days does not begin till they realized he was gone. I would probably say the first one makes the most sense to me. One day going away, one day coming back, and then on the third day after it begins, they find him. Maybe even in the evening as the third day begins in the evening. I believe biblical days begin in the evening and not in the morning uh, like a lot of people in our ranks are going over into. I don't believe that that can be biblically substantiated, but that's not my sermon. We'll let Brother Arnold teach on that here before too much longer. They found him in the temple complex, and he was sitting among the teachers, and he was listening to them. So before the text tells us that anything that they were astounded by him speaking, it first says he was just sitting and listening, and we tend to forget this part. All good students would sit at the feet of their teachers to learn the laws of Yahweh and the intricacies of the Tanakh. One that you might be aware of is, I think it's in Acts 22, verse 3, where uh, Shaul, who we call, who was also called Paul, his Roman name was Paul, he would sit at the feet of a teacher named Gamaliel, or some people say Gamaliel, a rabbi, rabboni, which simply means teacher, and he would learn. And so Yeshua here, recognizing, even though he's the son of Yahweh, and I believe he knows he's the son of Yahweh by this, by this point. I think it's pretty concrete in his mind because of something he says in a second. But even though he's the son of Yahweh, he sits there and he's listening to these people, these teachers in the temple complex. Some of them may have been Sadducees, Pharisees. These are very wise men as it pertains to the law of Yahweh. 
Luke 2.47 says, And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. So not only was he sitting and listening, but he was also getting in on the discussion. I don't think this is so much some kind of supernatural, miraculous knowledge, although it is not normal for a 12-year-old to be able to carry on a conversation with elders in in the temple complex. But I think what they're astounded at is this, is how well he could walk through the Torah and give the understandings, the legitimate understandings and interpretations of certain aspects in the law of Yahweh. They're astounded at it, at his answers. What do you think, Yeshua? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I think, and off goes this 12-year-old boy on the intricacies of the law. It's amazing, very amazing. I think this is why Luke mentions his age back in verse 42, so that we're also astounded as we read here in verse 47. Luke 2:48 says this, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And that adjective anxiously is there in the Greek. It's not just searching, it's searching anxiously. We wondered where you were. Some people have told me throughout my walk in studying the Bible that this is a section where Yeshua the Messiah, and I think Brother Arnold's countered this before, where Yeshua the Messiah disobeyed his parents or sinned against his parents because of what Miriam says here. Why have you treated us like this? And if we just stop for a second and think, and that's becoming less and less common in our day and age, where we just want to take somebody's word for it or Google it and not do any research, right? So let's just stop and let's just think for a second. If Tisha and I left the congregation tonight and drove four miles, just four miles, in a Dodge Caravan home, and we left Elijah here at the sanctuary, would it be Elijah's fault or would it be Tisha and mine's fault? Well, it would be me and Tisha's fault, right? We should have been more cautious about where our son was. And if we came back and we were anxiously searching for him, you know, he would tell us, say, look, you know, you guys left without me. You should have made sure that you had five children instead of four in the car when you left. But I don't even think that we can put much blame on Miriam and Joseph because of what we learned earlier in the text that they just assumed the common thing. He was somewhere with a relative or a friend. I think Miriam is just very, very anxious because she did not know exactly where her son was. This is the first time, I believe, that Luke 2.35, something I talked about last week, is being fulfilled. Luke 2.35, Simeon tells Mary, specifically Miriam, and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I touched on that text last week, and I think what it's talking about is that through the Messiah's ministry, Miriam would have to suffer many things as a mother because he was a unique man. He was a unique child. He would have to do things that other people were not called to do. And here she's feeling some anxiety, even at 12 years of age. Here in verse 49, he answers her by saying this. He says, why were you searching for me? He asked them, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Now, this is interesting. According to the way that Yeshua talked, it should have been easy in his eyes for his parents to know where he was at. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Do you notice, too, some people kind of diminish this, but there's nobody else that ever makes a statement like this in all of Scripture. 
sitting in the temple complex and says, do you not know I had to be in my father's house? Now, while Yahweh is our father who art in heaven, nobody else makes a statement like this. I think I think it's more than just Yeshua saying, look, I'm just a, a good person. I'm a righteous man and he's my heavenly father. No. I think he's saying, look, I'm in my father's house. My unique father. The one that begot me through the womb of you, mother. I'm in his house. Did you not know that that's where I would be? I think that's what he's saying. But they did not understand what he said to them. What do you mean they didn't understand what he said to them? Did not Gabriel show up and talk to Miriam in Luke 1, 26 through 38? And she received his word. Did not the angel show up to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1, 18 through 25? Why did they not understand what he was saying? And this is why I think they didn't understand. We don't have any record of anything miraculous, so to speak, anything out of the ordinary happening in Yeshua's life up until the age of 12 years old. We tend to forget that Yeshua was a human being. Miriam had to change his diaper. He had to learn how to go to the bathroom. He did. He was taught the Torah. Did we not read back last week in verse 40 that he had to be filled with wisdom? Joseph would sit him down, and I'm sure Miriam would sit him down, and they would teach him the laws of Yahweh. We're going to see just in a few more verses, he had to increase in his learning. I think what had happened with Miriam is this, is that from the time they presented him to Yahweh, back in verses 22 through 24, up until 12 years old, nothing out of the ordinary had happened. He was a man. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. He learned to speak Hebrew like any little Hebrew boy would. Nothing had happened out of the ordinary. So now all of a sudden at the age of 12, which later Israelite tradition would say that at the age of 13, a boy would enter into manhood. I'm not sure if that's the case or not, you know, technically, but they would have something that was called a bar mitzvah for these 13-year-old boys. And the the phrase bar mitzvah means a son of the law, a son of the commandment. Mitzvah is the Hebrew word for commandment. Mitzvot is commandments. So they would become a son of the commandment. In other words, they would really start to learn the Torah at the age of 12 or 13. Here at the age of 12, all of a sudden, after all of these years, 12 years of teaching Yeshua how to walk, taking him to the bathroom, changing his diaper when he's a little child, teaching him the Torah, Joseph taking him to work with him and teaching him carpentry, all of a sudden now something happens out of the ordinary. Well, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? <laughs> and she did not understand what he was saying. What do you mean? You've just been like any of my other children. Do you know Mary had other children? Through her and Joseph? I think, if I'm not mistaken, there were seven children in all that Miriam had, I think. I could be wrong on that, but I think that I've read that before. Something was happening here. And it didn't last long, but I think that Yahweh orchestrated this event to remind Miriam of who her son was. Yahweh said, Miriam, you need to be reminded you're not just training any other child. You're training my begotten son. And I'm going to remind you of that. And I'm going to divinely make it happen where he stays in Jerusalem while you leave and you got to come back and find him. And he's going to tell you, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? 
I think Yahweh worked all this out and orchestrated it from heaven. You see the word house there? I had to be in my father's house. I don't want to leave that unturned. House is actually not in the Greek. It just says in my father's. I think the King James says, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? I think it says that. Okay, And that's okay too. I think most translations pick house because of the context. Notice Yeshua says, why were you searching for me? Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? He's there in the temple. I think Father's house is why most translations pick house. But about the Father's business or about my Father's business is legitimate too because there exists no Greek word for either business or house there in Luke 2, verse 49. So then we go to verse 51. Then it says, then he went down with them. Notice when they go back north to Nazareth, it's called going down. Once again, it's because the elevation is lower in Nazareth than Jerusalem. They came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. Hupotasso in the Greek. Submissive. He submitted to his parents. Now, Yahweh allowed him to, to give her a little inkling of revelation. Look, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? But once they found him, he didn't resist. He submitted to his mom and his dad. He was obedient. He was submissive. Then it says, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And I think what this is, is she's now being reminded, look, I remember, I got, I can't forget, Gabriel already told me who my child would be. Uh, this, where Mary keeps these things in her heart, it's back in Luke 2, 19 too. After the shepherds came, Luke 2, 19 says, but Miriam was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Could you imagine what she was going through here? And she had to be reminded at his age of 12 that he was really the son of Yahweh. Amazing to me. I mean, sometimes I think we just read over these things and don't really think about them. She's putting all these in her heart. Verse 52, and Yeshua increased in wisdom and in stature. He learned. He grew. He got wiser. The older he got, the more intelligent he would get about the Torah. He did not just pop on the scene at 30 years old. You know, the way that a lot of preachers preach today, you think that all Yeshua came to do was to die and be resurrected by Yahweh. And that's a major part of it. But before he could die as the unblemished lamb, he had to fulfill the Torah. This is why he was born as a little child, circumcised, brought to the temple, presented to Yahweh. He did not just come on the earth to die and be resurrected by the Father. He came to live according to the law of Yahweh. Like I mentioned earlier about the baptism of John. When he came to John's baptism, John said, look, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. He says, no, suffer it to be so. Well, why does he say suffer it? Allow it. Because he has to fulfill all righteousness. Why does he have to fulfill all righteousness? So that he can be the righteous lamb of Yahweh. If he didn't fulfill all righteousness, he wouldn't be that unblemished lamb. So so important that we understand why he's going through all of this process in his life. He's having to increase in wisdom and in stature. And then it says, and in favor with Yahweh and with people. So not only did he increase in wisdom and in stature, but he also increased in favor with Yahweh. Now think about that. The more obedient that he became on in his life, the more favorable that Yahweh looked upon him. Now, that, you're not going to hear that taught in too many places. 
You mean there was a time when Yeshua was not as favorable in Yahweh's eyes? Well, according to this passage, he had to increase in favor with Yahweh. See? He would obey more and more commandments. Yahweh would look down, see his son, say, man, I'm finding favor with you. Boy, you're obedient. This is what the text says, and we know that it has to mean that because it says, and with people. Just like he increased in favor with people, everybody that was around him that knew him, that knew that Joseph and Miriam brought him up, he increased in their favor too. It's just like you know a person in the community. And if they're a really good person, the more you get to know them, the more favorable they become in your eyes. That's what this text is saying. People looked upon him with more favor, and Yahweh his father looked upon his son with more favor as he increased. Wonderful text of Scripture. So much in here, probably so much more that I could get into. And I'm sure that Yahweh will continue to bless me with more and more wisdom and and learn more about this text. So I ask that you go home, read it, study it for yourself, learn what you can. Praise Yahweh for his word. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Yahweh, thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that always your scriptures would mean so much to us. Far too often, we sit down to read the Bible and we're more worried about how much we're going to read rather than the quality of our reading. Father, I pray that if we only read a few verses a day, may we spend hours on those verses rather than thinking that we've got to fit in our five or ten chapters a day. I think that that will bless us more and we'll become more intelligent in your word, knowing more about it. Father, forgive me for where I have let you down, Father, in in that area. Um, I love this text in Luke. I'm thankful. I love the book of Luke. It's got so much detail. And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity and the time at this congregation to walk through it. Uh, There's so much more that we're going to learn. So, Yahweh Father, keep us and, and lead us and guide us and direct us. I love you, Yahweh Father. And I love your son. It's through him I pray.